I really like hanging around with this guy. Um, Ellen and I have known Stuart for nearly, I was just thinking, nearly 30 years, mate. We were young when we met. Very young. Yeah, very, very young, because we're still young. Yeah. Um, Stuart is, um, I, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I have text this out or WhatsApp this message, what I'm going to say about you now to the church. So they've heard it before, but not everybody's on the WhatsApp. Stuart is um, part, of, <coughs> part of our New Wine Cymru uh, regional team, our, our local team here. Um, he's, he's been um, quite a significant uh, influence in the leadership of the local church Antioch um, all the years I've known him. But the thing that, and, <coughs> and he's actually been a missionary in uh, Romania, were you in? Bulgaria. Oh, Bulgaria with his family. Um, but the thing that I know about Stuart more than anything is he's a man who speaks Jesus that we were just singing about. Uh, he speaks Jesus, and um, he's recognized within the New Wine Cymru apostolic team that Ellen and I are part of for, uh, for the nation. He's part of, um, uh, would I be right to say it was a school of prophets? Or oh, a prophetic forum, a prophetic forum. So they are intentionally gathering people with the prophetic gift and... Um, and nurturing that and encouraging that. And Stuart, amongst uh, our peers as leaders in our nation, is recognized as a prophet. And I've invited him here. We as a leadership team have specifically invited Stuart to come and to speak um, with that hat on, if I can put it like that. So I want you to understand that we as a local leadership team recognize Stuart as a prophet. Um, We personally recognize him as that. And so just want you to know a little bit about him because uh, many of you would know him and uh, maybe you might have seen him around but uh, Stuart I'm going to pray for you mate come and join us and uh, come and share whatever you feel is appropriate so father I thank you for Stu I thank you for his friendship lord uh, we love this guy and we thank you that uh, we see in him so much of you he he is a man who is Besotted with you, who is passionate about your presence, are passionate about your word, passionate about your spirit, and a passionate has a passion for the lost, and he has a passion for your church. So I pray, Father, this morning uh, that he would know your liberty uh, and know our liberty to listen and to give him the freedom to share what you have uh, placed in his heart and in his spirit for us and for your glory. Amen. 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 Good morning. I just walked in this morning. I thought, Josh, I'm, it always takes me back to Yash, to Romania. Remember that house? Amazing house they had. Very interesting house. If you went to the toilet in their house, you had to make sure you locked two doors, not just one door. You had to lock the door from the kitchen to the toilet, but you also had to lock the door from the outside to the toilet because for some reason the front door also brought you into the toilet. So you had to remember to lock two doors, otherwise it could be really embarrassing <laughs> if they forgot and, and went to the bathroom or they had a visitor that suddenly turned up and you were, you know, whatever. <laughs> so there are too much details, I'm sure you can imagine. So it's so good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm just 20 past 11, roundabout. Bill said half an hour, or did he say half a day? I can't remember what you said. 
okay, my own interpretation were, and probably for half a day, no one else will be here. So I want to share with you this morning about prophecy and the prophetic and prophets, etc. It is probably my favorite subject to speak on because it's so powerful. The true, authentic prophetic is a powerful. Not the other stuff that sometimes we see. I won't make any comment on any of that. But I'm, I'm after the true and the authentic because it's so powerful when it speaks into a person's life. It can be life-changing. It can be direction-changing. And it can actually be life-saving. I remember a few years ago, I was in... Romania, I used to go to Romania a lot, I haven't been so much recently, but I used to go quite regularly, kind of two times a year. And I was in a meeting in Romania and this lady came up to me and she did that thing that I really hate. When she said, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh, actually, no, I don't, sorry. <laughs> and she said, can I tell you a story? And I said, fine. She said, a few years ago, you, I was in a meeting that you were speaking at. And at the end of your talk, you said, can I pray for the pregnant lady? Now, she didn't quite know how I knew she was pregnant, I can't remember. We didn't remember, but anyway, she said, you prayed for me and you prophesied over me. I remember what you said. But she said, right at the end of the prophecy, you said, and the baby's going to be okay. Now, she sort of didn't really take that on board as such. She was more thinking about the other stuff I'd shared, but she remembered it. A few months later, she went into hospital. Now, they're better some ways than they used to be, but some remain in hospitals. They're not necessarily the best. And she's in hospital and she's giving birth and there's suddenly a major problem. She's not quite sure what the problem is. She's bleeding a lot. There's something going on. And she can see the panic in the doctors, the midwife, and there's talk about we're going to lose the baby or we're going to lose you or we could lose both. And she said in that moment, rather than fear, what came in her mind that moment was, and God says... The baby's going to be okay. And so she took that, she re-prophesied it, if you like. She re-spoke it into that moment and said, God, you said the baby's going to be okay. She said, in a moment, everything changed. The bleeding stopped. The baby was delivered well. She brought her daughter over to introduce her to me, to thank me. And then they wanted to take me out for a meal. And I said, well, really, you've got to thank God, but I'll take the meal. <laughs> I'm not going to turn down a meal. You know, you could take me out for a meal, but really our thanks is to God. And so at the meal, as we sat in a restaurant and had a meal, we took time to just thank God. Because it's, we're just vessels, aren't we? We're just channels. The glory always goes to him. I think it's Bill Johnson said, if you don't live for the applause of man, you won't be killed by the criticism. We don't do this for the applause of man. It's nice when we get affirmation, it's nice when we get encouragement, but really we do it so that God's heart, love, power gets seen and manifest in people's lives. Now my starting point this morning is this. Every single one of us in this room, from the youngest, we've got a few younger ones, to the oldest, I'm not even going to guess how old the oldest is, um, but from the youngest to the oldest and everyone in between, every single one of us could have a prophetic word, could release a prophetic word. And normally when I say that, people say to me, well, I never have. And I said, that might be true. But also you may have done without realizing it. Because you see, there's no magic formula. We don't have to say the Lord says before we say something to make it prophetic. And in fact, some of the things that God has supposedly said are not actually prophetic. It's just people's own whatever. 
And so you don't have to say the Lord says or I believe God is saying or thus says the Lord before you say something to make it prophetic. I've had so many conversations with people over the years. Recently I had a, a conversation with a lady and a few weeks later she came back to me and said, oh, remember when we were having coffee and you said, and she repeated what I'd said. She said, everything, ever since that moment, this has happened, that's happened, that's happened. She saw what I said as prophetic even though it was just a conversation. You see, being prophetic is not a switch that we throw. I'm in a meeting, so I'll throw the prophetic switch in case God wants to give me a word for someone. Being prophetic is who you are. You can have a prophetic marriage. You can have a prophetic home. You can run your business as a prophetic sign of the kingdom. So being prophetic is not just, oh, I've got a prophetic word. Being prophetic is who we are, what we carry, what we live, and the overflow of that may be that you share with a friend, a prophetic word. And it doesn't have to be a Christian. This is not exclusively a Christian thing. You can be at work. You can be at the bus stop. You can be at the school gate. And you can share a prophetic word. And you might not even say, thus says the Lord. You might say to someone, you know what? I really think you've been going through a hard time, but things are going to change. You don't say, thus says the Lord necessarily. And then they come back to you and say, oh, you remember at the school gate? You told me it's been tough, but things are going to change. Well, it has. Then you talk about Jesus. So the prophetic is incredibly powerful. So every single one of you has the potential. All of us have the potential. From the youngest, I love it when children speak the word of the Lord. From children up to the oldest adult, we can have a prophetic word. And as I said, being prophetic is not throwing a switch. It's living it out. It's being prophetic every moment of the day. When I first got involved in the prophetic a number of years ago... I read lots of books, listened to lots of talks, wanted to, wanted to soak in as much as I could about this thing that I'd stumbled in. I never asked for it. I asked for God to use me. I didn't specifically say, God bless me with a prophetic gift. I just said, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be a, someone who brings your kingdom, who brings your love, who brings your presence, who brings your joy and peace. And what God decided was the best way I could do that was through the prophetic. And when I looked at books and when I looked at people, it seemed like the prophetic was about telling people what to do. You go here, you go there, you do this, you do that. It was almost like we're all chess pieces on a board and God's moving us around. And there is an element of that. But I was, that never sat totally comfortable with me. And then one day I was listening to a, a guy speaking on a Zoom call and he said this, he said, the prophetic is not so much about telling people what to do, but awakening who they are. And the moment he said that, it's like, oh, yes, that's it. That's, that's, that's that, you know, uncomfortable with telling people what to do. That's why I felt, because actually what you want me to do, God, is to awaken people to the reality of who they are. Most of us are more aware of our failures than our successes. The things you failed in. I remember saying to a friend in Bulgaria when we lived there, we did a men's meeting, and I said to this man, I said, how's your thought life today? He said, oh, it's great. It's just a good job he didn't ask me yesterday. Very honest. It's about awakening who people are because we can be so centered on our failure that we miss the successes. We miss the journey that God is taking us on. I think it's Sean Boltz that said this, 
prophetic creates vision for the gap between what is not yet happening and what God desires to do in our lives and helps us to engage in a process of relationship with God through faith to close the gap. And it's not all just about the future. One of the things I slightly get frustrated about sometimes is every prophetic word seems to be about six months' time, a year's time. Life is terrible. I heard this one. I'm paraphrasing it slightly. I heard this one. Life is so terrible. What's your name? Dan. Dan. So there's Dan. and he, I want to encourage Dan. You know, So Dan, life is so terrible for you at the moment. It's just awful, Dan. But if you cling on by your fingertips for three years, everything's going to be okay. Now, that might be true, but actually, if I want to encourage Dan, I don't just want to tell him in three years' time everything's going to be okay. He just about manages to hang on. I want to give him something for now. I want to give him something that encourages his spirit now that might mean that in three years' time everything's okay because, you see, the journey that we're all on is just as important as the destination. If you've got a vision for your life, oh, I want to be this, I want to be that, we can be so fixated on the future that we miss the present. We miss the moment. And yes, it's great having a prophetic word that in three years' time. But what's the journey to that three years? What's the process? What's the walk supposed to look like that enables me? Because actually the journey it's often more important than the destination because on the journey, God does all that stuff to prepare us, knocks all those bits off, adds those bits to us, builds us, strengthens us, encourages us so that when we get to the destination, we can fulfill it. And I've got news for you. When you get to the destination, it's not the destination. It's just another place. And there's another one. It's like climbing a mountain, you know. We used to take youth up mountains and uh, we fibbed. We used to say to them, you know, see that, that ridge there, that's the top. And they go, oh, I can get there. And then we get there, we go, oh, sorry, it's the next one. <laughs> it worked about twice, failed after that. Because they, my friend even one time said, don't worry, guys, the mountain's going to be really hard. But there's a chip shop at the top. <laughs> and we got there, they go, oh, closed. No, only works once. The journey is as important as the destination. Don't just focus on the future. Don't just focus on that vision, that thing that God has put ahead of you. What's God doing? What's God saying? What's God needing to put into you now that will actually enable you to fulfill that? And then when you get there, it's just the stopping point. There's more to come. When we're thinking about prophecy, when people try to define prophecy, what is prophecy? And they've come up with all these grand definitions of what it is but actually when we bring it down and reduce it to a simple thought it's God speaking through us it's God speaking through us I, I do a, a, a school I, I, I teach and it's about four sessions school and in the I think it's the second session I talk about the value of having the prophetic in a community I think there's real value to have the prophetic, the good, authentic prophetic operating in and flowing in any church community. It's really powerful. And so I was preparing for this school one day, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you know what, those values are good. Oh, thank you very much. But he said, but there's a better one. 
And I found with the Holy Spirit, when he says something like that, he's not just asking a question, he's inviting a conversation. He's inviting me to a conversation. And so, of course, I said, okay, what, what then? What's that better value? What's that greater value? And this is what I felt him say. He said, in that moment of someone receiving a word, they are connected to how heaven sees them, not just how they see themselves. They're connected with how heaven sees them, not just how they see themselves. Because if we're honest, most of us, as I said, are more aware of our failure than our success. And therefore, we put ourselves lower than the reality of where we are. Because actually, we've been raised up and seated with Christ, which is as high as you can get. But most of us live somewhere down here. We know the verse, but we live with that reality because we know what we're like. But when God speaks to I remember being in a church in Bulgaria, a little tiny country church, 20, 30 people there. And I'm preaching. And there's this lady sort of over here. Turn, I look at her and I feel like I've got something for her. So I thought, okay, later on when my message finishes, I'll speak to her. Carried on speaking. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, prophesy now. And I'm like, no, I'm in the middle of my sermon. And it's going quite well. And, I'm car- and I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, speak to her now. So I stopped. This is all done through interpreter. So I stopped my interpreter and said, oh, and I called, spoke to the lady, asked her name, she stood up, and I prophesied her. I can still pretty much remember what I said. And I prophesied over her, and she's crying, which is sometimes a good thing, you know, well, sometimes not, but she was crying. And when we finished, I always like to ask people, did that make sense? Because it might not make any sense to you, but it will make perfect sense to the person. That's why sometimes people say, oh, I didn't give that friend that word because it made no sense. I said, well, why should it make sense to you? it's not for you you wouldn't go around someone's house when they're getting delivered a letter nick it off the postman and try and read it and make it applicable to yourself because it's not for you it's for them so just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it's not right anyway i shared this word i said does it make sense and she said yes it does but she said what's even more powerful she said you wouldn't know this so i'm sitting there and i'm saying god you always speak to everybody else but you never speak to me and then you stopped And God spoke to me. And I said, what does that say about God and his heart for you? And sometimes the prophetic is about, we have this God who is the God of the world, the God that he holds everything in his hand. Sometimes we think he's so busy with everybody else. Is he really interested in the little old me and Clannathalie? But the reality is he is. And he has the ability to be, you know, over where we've heard this morning, and in here, in Clannathalie, in equal measure, and he's involved and in, in interested and concerned about little old you, and sometimes God will send someone into your life to come up to you and say, I think God is saying this to you, because he loves you so much, and he wants to speak to you. So in the moment someone receiving a word, they're connected to heavens, how heaven sees them, or heaven's perspective of them, more than how they see themselves. Now, when we look at prophecy, it's in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And he mentions prophecy as one of those gifts. He also mentions it in, I think it's in Romans 12, verse 6 as well. And then in chapter 13, he appears to change the subject. He went to a wedding yesterday. I don't know if they read this scripture at a wedding. Often at a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13. It's a great wedding scripture, isn't it? Because it's all about love. But actually, in its context, it's not really just for weddings. I think if we just read it at a wedding, it's good, but we miss the point. 
Because you've got 1 Corinthians 12, all about gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Sandwiched in the middle, 1 Corinthians 13, which basically says, if I haven't got love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Because actually, the basis, foundation for all the prophetic has got to be love. It's not about getting your own back on someone. If you're jealous, upset, offended, hurt by someone or the church, don't even try and get a prophetic word for them. Don't even try. Because it's likely that what comes out of your mouth will be tainted by how you're feeling. Jesus said in Matthew, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will always speak. He didn't say we'll always speak. He said the mouth will speak. That's my paraphrase. Your mouth, our mouth, my mouth, is an overflow. An overflow of our heart. That's why the context of worship and the presence is so powerful. Because when you're in the presence and you're in worship, often what then comes out of your mouth will be good and beautiful and encouraging and building. So it's 1 Corinthians 12, prophecy, 1 Corinthians 13, love, because the foundation for everything is love. The prophetic without love is really dangerous and can be hurtful and harmful and can take people in a completely wrong direction without love. But with love, with the love of God, love God speaking to a person's heart through a prophetic word can bring so much richness into a person's life. According to 1 Corinthians 14, it's for edification, which basically means encouragement. The prophetic is supposed to encourage. If it doesn't encourage, I would question whether it's a prophetic word. Because there's got to be an element that encourages. Even if it's challenging, there's got to be some encouragement there. Otherwise, it may not be God. Exhortation, which means to urge or incite people to get closer to God. Comfort. Coming alongside to strengthen, reinforce. God wants to draw alongside people, giving them strength, vision, and encouragement to go higher and deeper with him. The prophetic isn't about going just maybe about being humbled. Yes, it can be. But it's also about let's go higher. Let's go deeper. Let's go further in God than we've ever been before. And the amazing thing about God, it talks about his love left, you know, height, depth, you know, it's, it's as vast as you can imagine. If you stand over the sea and just look at the vastness of an ocean, it's as vast and as big as it can be. So therefore, we can never reach the end of going deeper with God. We can never get too high. We can never get too low. We can never get too wide or whatever. We can always go further. We can always go deeper. And sometimes the prophetic is God's drawing us, his love through a prophetic word, drawing us into the heart of God, drawing us into an ever-deepening relationship with the Father. And it's a beautiful thing. That's why I strive for the good, the authentic, not the controlling. I've heard prophecy used to control, to manipulate, and to dominate. And it's just like, ugh, because that's not it. That's not what it's about. It's not about how can God control me? How can God manipulate me? How can God dominate me? No, it's about how can God love me? And how can I experience and enjoy the love of God? So don't even try. If you're upset with someone, get right with your heart before you even attempt to get anything for them. 
Now, prophecy, like the gift, any other gift, it's not a reward for good service. God, I've put the chairs out for five years. I've served for five years. I've worked really hard in this church for five years. So, therefore, I really want a good gift. I don't want the hospitality one because, you know, everyone does that. I, I want the prophecy. I want the, because that gets me up the front. That gets me recognized. That gets me noticed. That gets me good position. It's not what it's about. The prophecy is not about position. It's about just being a voice, a, a channel for God. So it's not a reward, but it's a right desire to see God work through us to bless people. As I said, it's the foundation of love. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes in a really powerful, dramatic way. We often think about that at Pentecost, the tongues of fire, the room being filled with the Holy Spirit. They burst out into the streets and people are listening. People are looking at them thinking they're all a bit drunk or something. You know, what's, what's going on? The Spirit has come. It's powerful. It's amazing. And Paul, Peter gets up and basically quotes Joel. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, resulting in your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Right there, the birth of what we think of the church, the prophetic was right there at the forefront. It's God's intent. It's always been God's intent. We've managed to sometimes taken it and used it wrongly and twisted it and abused it to the point that some people go, oh, I don't want any of that prophetic stuff. Because all they've seen is like negative and discouraging and awful. And so let's just get rid of it all because, you know, that's why I'm on a mission for the good, the authentic, prophetic, not just words, but even people. The way we operate, the way we act, the way we behave is, is love. To people experience the love of God and who he is for them. He quotes and he says, it's for your sons and your daughters. It's not just a male thing. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's for, for, and I found some of the most powerful prophetic people I know are women. Not be, you know, it is, and I actually think and believe that we are going to see in the next, I hate using the season word, but in this next time, I think we're going to see a surge and an uprising of powerful women of all ages in the body of Christ. Because us as men, sometimes we've got no women. You just, you just wash up. You just stay in the back. Let us men do it. And we've sometimes done a good job. Sometimes we've not. And yet there's some amazing women that God is raising and using and are being used. And I think we're going to see a surge of prophetic women in this time. Your sons and your daughters. It's not just about us. But it's important that we, that we steward. It's important that we steward the words that we... How many people here have had prophetic words over their lives? Just stick your hand up. Quite a few. Yeah, don't be shy now. Don't be shy now. Uh, quite a few. Probably more than putting their hands up, but anyway. It's important that we steward the prophetic words that we get over our lives. Julian Adams, I don't know him very well. I know him. I think he's South African. He's a prophetic ministry. He says this, Many of us don't need just another prophetic word. We just need to believe the one that God gave us yesterday. Stewarding past prophetic words is the key to stepping into the next season God gives you. 
For many of us, we have not learned how to steward what God has already said. Therefore, it's difficult to lean into what he's saying now. It's not just a case of jumping from one prophetic word to another until you find the one you like. Have you ever, have you ever seen that in people? They're like, oh, I got that prophetic word. I didn't really like that one, so I'm going to go to that meeting because maybe I'll get a better one. And then they go to that meeting. Oh, I didn't really like that one either. So, I, oh, I hear there's so-and-so in town. I'll go to him or her because maybe I'll get a really nice prophetic word about riches and money and, you know. It's not just about jumping to find a word that we like. It's about taking the word that we have and stewarding it to see its real fulfillment and understanding what's God's part and what's my part. Because there will always be your part. God's part might be 99.5%. But your 5%, your 0.5% is still important and actually relevant to, for you. Naaman goes searching for a word from God because he hears of the prophet in Israel. Goes and knocks on the prophet's door. The prophet doesn't even come out. Sends his servant because he's testing his heart. And his servant says, oh, the man, the man of God says, go and wash in that river over there seven times. And Naaman's like, oh, that's filthy. That's a filthy, dirty river. I've got much better rivers back in my, t- my, my country. And it takes one of his servants to say, if he told you to do a great military exploit, you would have done it. Just go and wash in the river. Just be obedient. Just do it. And he goes and he bathes seven times and he comes up healed. There's God's part, but there will always be our part. There will always be something that God might be asking us to do, to embrace. Maybe just to pray. Maybe just to wage war with the word that we've received. Maybe just not to let go and keep reminding God and reminding ourselves of what God said to us. But there will always be God's part and there will always be our part. What is God saying? Now, the gift grows. The gift of the prophetic grows. If, you're, if you've just had a couple of prophetic words for someone and you're feeling like, oh, you know, I don't really know how to do this, join the club. Because most of the time we don't really know how to do it. That's why we need God. But we do learn. We do grow. We do develop. When I first got involved in the prophetic, there was two people, a guy called Martin Scott, who's a Scottish guy. He lives in Spain now. And an American Jew. Big beard, very Jewish looking, but American guy. And I said to them both, I said, I want to learn, and I want to learn from you. So can I travel with you? I drive the bus, I carry your bags, I do whatever's necessary. The only stipulation is I can ask you lots of questions. And they said, fine. And I did ask them. Maybe they regretted that. But they did, I did ask because I wanted to learn off them. I wanted to learn their process. I wanted to learn their journey. When they stood up, this Jewish guy would stand up and say, oh, your name's John, and you live at number so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so street, and your mother's name is, and your children's, and I was like, well, how on earth did he get all that information? How did he process what he was hearing to give that word? So I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. I wanted to develop. And so I traveled with these people because I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. God had planted something in my spirit, and it's like a slender shoot. And the scriptures are, don't despise the day of small things. And I didn't despise it, but I recognized I wanted to go further. And I knew there was a journey. And I knew there was a process. I read this quote the other day. If we insist on perfection in the early stages of development, many in our churches will keep silent rather than bring what they feel God is saying. So rather than giving faith to explore, we create fear that holds people back. What we need to do 
is create a safe place. Remember the first, one of the first times I prophesied something in the meeting, and it felt like a lead balloon. It just like didn't go down at all. And I sat down. I thought, oh my goodness, what a twit. What an idiot. Why did, I, why did I do that? And it was like, and a very good friend of mine came up to me, and he didn't say that was rubbish, what you said. He didn't say anything. He just put his arm around me and said, well done. Well done for having a go. Well done for stepping out. At least you stepped out when no one else did. Well done. And I just, that's what I needed. I didn't need him to say, let's appraise that word and see what was God. And you know, I, didn't, I didn't really need that. But I did need him to say, well done. And I learned and I grew and I developed. We have a saying in our church, and it says, if people are free to fail, they're also free to succeed. We don't make failure the goal, but if you're free to fail, you're more likely to succeed because you'll have a go. We need a rounding up now. We will make mistakes, but we have to be open. We have to be open when we make a mistake to go, God, help me to learn from my mistake so I get up and do it again. When it goes well, don't just bask in the success. Find out why it went well. What made it go well in that moment? Because that might be a lesson to learn as well as, oh, that didn't seem to go well, God. Why was that? I could tell you lots of stories, but I haven't got time on that one. We need, if we can, to find people that can help us. I grew because I had like, people that were willing to take me on a journey with them and allow me to ask question after question after question because I was hungry to learn and to grow. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher. The gift doesn't come out of straining. Oh, I've got to get a word. I've got to get a word. I've got to get a word. It comes out of intimacy and rest. It comes out of intimacy and rest. Intimacy... It's not a program to be run and managed, but a relationship to be maintained. It's not a program. Let's run a program on spiritual, on intimacy with God. That might help, but it's about a relationship. Intimacy is a relationship. Intimacy is into me see. God, see into me. Know my heart. Know my love for you, my desire for you to use me. Now, to finish just briefly, we, we find in Ephesians 5, the fivefold ministries, prophets, pastors, teachers, etc. And we need those. They weren't just like back in the day times. It wasn't just in the Bible times. Everything didn't end when the last apostle died. That would be sad. There are people today, men and women today, that God is raising up with apostolic, prophetic, teaching, all those gifts that the church needs. But their role is not to do all the prophesying. Oh, we've got a prophet in. They're going to do all the prophesying. We can just sit back and have a great time. They will prophesy because it's part of who they are. But actually, it actually their main function, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to equip the saints, you, me, us, to, for the work of ministry. You see, you don't have to be salaried in the church to be in ministry. You don't have to be paid to come to church. You can just come. But we're all called to ministry. We're all called to serve God. I can't be at the school gate that you're at. I can't be on the office floor that you're on. I can't be in the classroom or the workroom or whatever that you, where you are. Only you can with Holy Spirit so you can be the minister there in a way that I can't. We're all called to ministry. But the prophetic is to equip the saints for the work 
of ministry. That word equip there means to make fit, to train, to make fully qualified. God has made you qualified through Jesus, through coming into your heart, coming to He's made you qualified to actually be His ministry wherever you are. I believe that the prophetic should not be just, here's a prophetic person, there's another one, there's another one, and he gets on with it there, she gets on with it there, and he gets on with it there. Actually, if we look at the biblical model, I think it's more companies of prophets. You see, Samuel, beginning of 1 Samuel, the word of the Lord was rare, it says. The candle was almost going out. It was almost nothing, and then God speaks. He thinks it's Eli. Eli realizes it's God. Samuel calls to God. Later on in Samuel's life, he's coming down a mountain and he's the head prophet of a whole company of prophetic people. God took what was rare and made it full. And I believe that the, one of the problems often the prophetic people have is they feel isolated. It's just, I'm being prophetic, but no one really understands me. No one really, you know, and we feel isolated. We feel alone. And it's a tactic of the enemy to isolate, to make us feel alone, to make us feel like we're just some weird voice shouting in the wilderness. Whereas the biblical model, I believe, is company or prophetic community. Where we learn together, where the younger can be helped, encouraged by the older, and the older can learn from the enthusiasm of the younger, and we can together build something that's safe that's rounded where, because what you hear is only a part. What I hear is only a part, but when you put all those parts together, we get a big picture of what God is saying to his church and his community. I believe God is wanting church to be his prophetic communities where we learn, we grow, we develop together, and and we have that privilege of sharing the word of the Lord. We should never allow our fear of failure to neutralize our prophetic gift. When we fail, we need to get up and try again. Failing does not make you a failure. I'm speaking this directly to somebody this morning because I wasn't going to mention this quote and then the other day when I was preparing, it came into my mind and God said, you've got to share it because it's for someone, maybe more. I'll read it again. We should never allow our fear of failure to neutralize our prophetic gift When we fail, we need to get up and try again. Failing does not make you a failure. In many cases, failure is an opportunity to try again. So if you feel a failure this morning, join the club. We've probably all been there at times. And failing doesn't mean you failed, full stop. That's it, never do it again. Failure is an opportunity to go, you know what, God, I believe that you gave me the prophetic. I believe that you want me to be a prophetic person in my classroom, in my school, in my workplace, in my church, in my community. I believe that I'm prophetic, not just because of the words that I say, but who I am and what I carry. I believe it. So even though I failed and the enemy wants me to stay on the ground of my failure, I'm going to stand up again. I'm going to put my trust in you and I'm going to try again. And if I fail, I'm just going to do that again and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. One of my worst moments in the prophetic, I was in a meeting and I shared this word and I thought it was awful and I I stepped off the platform and I thought, that was terrible. This two girls, I had a word for for twins, 
in this meeting. And he's, I thought, oh, that's just so awful, Lord. It wasn't, no one responded. It was terrible. I walked off the platform and these two girls came up to me and said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That we were too shy to respond. We didn't, you know, we felt embarrassed, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But thank you so much for being faithful. Thank you so much for taking the risk. Thank you so much. And it just meant so much to them. And we were able to pray together. And I thought, oh, God, yeah, I went from feeling a failure to realizing, oh, isn't it wonderful to take a risk? Isn't it wonderful to step out? Let's stand together. Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we thank you that your heart is to encourage your body, your heart is to encourage your body, your heart is to bring truth and hope and life into your body and I thank you for this community of believers, I thank you for this community that stand not just here on a Sunday morning, but seven days a week in this community and in the town and looking to release the love and presence of Jesus into people's lives, into the poor, the broken, the hungry, the needy. Thank you, Jesus, for this community that is a prophetic community in terms of what they do and what they stand for and what they seek to release. Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah. I don't need to know what you're going through to know that some of you need hope. I walked in this morning and I felt the Holy Spirit say there's some people here this morning that feel like they're losing hope. And I want you to tell them that he's the God of all hope. You can never lose hope when you've got God. You can lose it emotionally or mentally or whatever, but with God you can never lose hope because he is the God of all hope. Poured into a heart by the Holy Spirit. So if you need hope this morning, then just take it and receive it because he's the God of all hope. I felt like there were some, two or three of you have got key decisions to make. You're weighing up key decisions about maybe life, job, whatever. You've got key decisions. You're, it's almost like the picture I saw was you standing at a crossroads saying, God, where do I go? Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go straight ahead? Do I stay here? You know, it, and I just feel like God's saying, I want to come as you meet me. And I meet you. I want to come and I want to give you wisdom for those key decisions. Some key decisions. One of them involves a lot of finance. And I believe as you lean into him, trust him with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, he shall direct your paths. As you lean into him, and it may not be with a loud voice, it might be with a whisper, he will come and give you the wisdom that you need to make those key decisions that are not just for now, but are for months and years. It's almost like the path you get on now will be the path you'll stay on for a long time. So it's important you get on the right path because you're going to be on this path for a long time.
key decisions the Holy Spirit wants to come and bring you into key decisions. There's someone else very concerned about your health. And I feel like Holy Spirit wants to meet you and you have a conversation with him about that because he wants to show you not just what he's doing now but how that's going to unwork in the weeks and months to come. He's with you. He's not abandoning you. He's not, he's not distancing himself from you. He's right there, right in the midst of, of the situation with you. And although you, you struggle or you fear or you worry about your health, Holy Spirit says, that's okay, because <laughs> I know, and I'm with you in it. And actually, I'm going to do more in you through this situation in the coming months than I've ever done before. Why do we suffer? You know, wouldn't it be great if we never had to suffer anything? But sometimes the suffering doesn't take us from God. It just brings us closer to God. God can sometimes do something in a hard time that he couldn't do in an easy time. And in that hard time and challenging time, he doesn't take, we don't draw away from him. We draw deeper to him. Our walk with him becomes more rich, more powerful, more special because he's in the boat with us. He's in the moment with us. He's down on the ground drawing in the sand with us. Doesn't leave us. He's right there. And in some ways, he's even more there. We experience more of him sometimes in times of suffering than we ever do in times of peace.